Welcome back to the Remedial Film Class Podcast. I'm your host, Dan. And I'm Travis. And I'm George. George, do you have any idea why we watched Julius Caesar last week? You know what? I hadn't even thought about it. You just watched The Dark Knight for... How many times mm-hmm. have you seen that movie? Is this like your third time, the, tenth time? The, the Dark Knight? Nah, probably the fourth or fifth time. So you, you watch for the fourth or fifth time, you're thinking, oh, mm-hmm. this movie looks just like Heat. Oh, that clown mask is just like The Killing. Mm-hmm. And then you were like, yep. what was that other movie we watched? I don't remember. <laughs> I, yeah, I was watching it and I was like, at some point I'm going to like get to the point where I'm, I start to think about that. And then I spilled my beer and I got pissed off and I never thought about it. Travis, do yes. you know why we watched Julius Caesar last week? I'm assuming it has to do with the, uh, the three char- main characters and their struggle to uh, hold down... The fort, basically. That's in a, a start. In a, in a world on. of chaos. Hold on. It was a uh, a, tr- uh, tri- a triumvirate. Triumvirate. There you go. Yeah. yeah. And then the one character turn or the 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 villain basically turns one against the two, and uh, that's how I watched it. Like it, it it looked like kind of like an inside job kind of thing where the Joker turned uh, Harvey Dent into what they are battling and he wound up not being part of the triumvirate anymore. Well, that is exactly what he did, but I'm not sure if that fits in Roman history. So guys, as I mentioned on the last show, I was a history and classical studies major and I graduated the year this came out. So it was like fresh in my mind. Here's the thing with this movie, the dark Knight, from 2008 is not only sort of parallel to Julius Caesar. It is in many ways an adaptation of the story of the fall of Rome, but with like capes and a mask and a clown guy. Like to a level of detail that nobody seems to have caught on to for some reason. So I'm telling you up front, it's an adaptation of the events that actually transpired at the fall of Rome, but with capes and masks and a clown guy. Now, Before we get too far into the details of how they adapted the original story, the actual story, the history, not just Julius Caesar, but the actual Plutarchian, Suetonius-like classic history. Yes, I'm excited to hear this. I want to point out a couple of breadcrumbs that they left for us in the movie. And I'm not talking about like, oh, John Carpenter's 5-4 time is kind of like the theme of that one movie directed by the same guy that did the scene where they have the girl in the same shirt get stabbed in the same arm, right? We're not doing forensic investigation at this point. They put it on a platter right in front of us, and it's there for the taking. Okay. What is it? So, right toward the beginning of the movie, you have this moment where Harvey Dent convinces Bruce Wayne that he is worth trusting. Right before Bruce is like, when you have a fundraiser with my friends, you're good for good. You know that scene? Right. Mm -hmm. They discuss Julius Caesar and dictatorship. Like, they're talking about Julius Caesar and dictatorship right there in front of you. But if you're not watching, or if you're not thinking, you're not going to catch on. Well, now, doesn't he kind of touch on the, uh, when he says, uh, you live long enough to become the villain line, that's basically an implication of Julius Caesar. Like, you're, am I correct? Well, that's how I, they use I it. think so, yeah. That's like the, in the context of that discussion. Uh, just to give you a quick breakdown uh, from memory here without looking at the notes, uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal, uh, Rachel Dawes says something like, oh, but the last guy they made dictator was Caesar and he didn't give it back, you know? Mm-hmm. <sighs> Not exactly historically accurate, I would argue. Now, some historians are going to say, well, he was officially a dictator during his reign over the Roman Republic. But the the actual like process that they describe actually better describes the rise of Pompey the Great, who we talked about in the Julius Caesar episode. He predates Caesar by a little bit. His statue is where Caesar gets killed. Mm -hmm. The thing about Pompey the Great was, and we'll have to get in the history a little bit, his story follows that arc a little better. Now, before we get on to the actual history, I want to talk about one other breadcrumb. Now, how many times you've seen the movie might might, uh, dictate how much of this you remember. But during the great interrogation 
uh, Bush era torture scene with the Joker. Mm-hmm. Batman's shaking Joker, bashing his head around. Finally, Joker tells him where the two people are. Mm-hmm. Do you remember Cicero. where he says they are? Cicero. Yeah, the one's at 250 52nd Street, and the other one's at Avenue X and Cicero. Cicero. And when I, in the movie theater, the first time watching this movie, after I've seen the three of them on the roof, secretly running Gotham, which to the nerd in me was like, that's kind of a triumvirate, that's pretty cool. Then we have the speech about Caesar. I'm like, oh shit, these guys are onto it. When they dropped Avenue X and Cicero, my little nerdy ass jumped out of the seat the first time. Like, oh my God, we're doing ancient Rome. And nobody got it but me. And so now you all get it. And welcome. <laughs> and welcome. He's trying to justify the pay, how, many, how much he paid for that class. <laughs> I've been waiting for <laughs> nearly anyone... 14 years to talk about this in detail. So thank you. And I'm sorry in advance. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to make it too boring, I hope. Uh, but stick with me because the parallels in this movie run really well uh, with a couple of, you know, uh, adapted for the sake of the movie bits. But So guys, before the time of Caesar, before the final kind of collapse of the Roman Republic, mm-hmm. one of the defining characteristics of Roman life was street violence, especially street violence as related to gangs. Like literal roving gangs of like gladiators and tough guys under the control of minor politicians fighting it out for control of the streets of Rome. Okay. This movie opens with the robbers, the guy with the dog and his crew, Scarecrow and his crew, a gang of fake Batman, Gamble and his guys, and then even Lowe has his own like henchmen. So mm-hmm. the scenario, the beginning of this movie is very much the same as Rome right before all the shit went down. And, yep. And me who went to art school is just looking at it going, oh, wow, that's, that's the Sons of Batman from the Frank Miller comic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's I like mean, yeah. In any, anything else other than that. And, and now there's the fall of Rome beginning <laughs> in that parking garage. <laughs> well, it's an interesting way to begin the movie, right? And even those dogs, right? The Rottweiler is actually a dog that is descended from the herding dogs used in ancient Rome uh, and even by the military. And so you'll see them in art with Roman emperors in the art of the time. In the time of Rome, when they had their problem with street violence and gangs in Rome, the way that they were able to put it down was to make Pompey already great. I don't know if he was Pompey the great yet. Maybe this is contributing to that. They made him sole consul. Now, what that means is Usually they have two consuls. They're like presidents, kind of. But for his sake, in 52 BC, they make Pompey the sole consul. To do that, they had to break a bunch of their norms. Like, they, they're basically illegally making him consul to allow him to militarily occupy the city under martial law and crush these gangs, which are, you know, making life in Rome hell, and they need to uh, break the rules a little bit to uh, clean things up. What could you do with 18 months of clean streets? Mm. You know? Oh, my gosh. So, so Pompey, uh, who, by the way, you know, you talk about making your own luck as Two-Face or as Harvey Dent, excuse me. Uh, Pompey, just when his votes weren't going his way to make him sole consul, would just, as I was joking with Travis when you spilled your beer, cancel the election for a bad omen, go intimidate a bunch of people, and then be like, okay... We got to vote now. The omens are better. Oh, I'm, mm. I'm the consul now. Awesome. Thanks. Let me get my army in here. We'll clean this street up. Mm. Yeah. Interesting, right? So in the way that they present the Roman kind of parallel story, right? I can't say that they're doing the Roman Republic because this is about Gotham, right? And somebody's going to point out, well, it's not actually about Rome. It's about Gotham and it's a made up city. I'm like, okay, yeah. But you know what I mean? As they parallel the story to tell a Batman story. You deal with Batman as essentially the Caesar figure in this original triumvirate. Now, one of my favorite scenes at the beginning of the movie is when Batman's all beat up. He's sewing up his arm and Alfred's like, I'm going to bloody tell you, you know, and Mm -hmm. the thing that sticks out to me in that scene is that Bruce Wayne says to Alfred, Batman has no limits. He's speaking in the third person. Have we ever heard Bruce Wayne speak in the third person as Batman? 
I can't remember. I can't either. But you know who's spoken the third person a whole lot in his writings about himself and how great he was? Caesar. Caesar. I don't know. I think that's... I think that might be a little bit different because Bruce Wayne is Is a duality. Right. Bruce Wayne is talking when he refers to Batman. Batman, Now, one thing that you probably don't know, George, because you didn't watch the show as much as you should have as a kid. Okay. There is an episode of Batman the Animated Series where the Mad Hatter, who is a bad guy who uses like a mind control hat to like control your perception of reality, Mm -hmm. puts Batman under. Into basically mm-hmm. a virtual reality dream. And Bruce, Batman, is working his way through all this stuff. He gets out. Uh, spoiler alert. He doesn't die. He survives the episode and, and defeats the bad guy. Oh, thank goodness. And Robin. because there's like four more seasons. And it's either Robin or <laughs> Commissioner Gordon. I think it's got to be Robin. Maybe Alfred. Sorry, I didn't check the episode. Somebody is talking to Batman at the end of the episode. They're like, how did you know it was a false reality? And he said, I kept calling myself Bruce and the guy goes wait what do you call yourself and he just looks at him and he realized that Batman in his own mind doesn't say hey Bruce you really got to change these socks he says he calls himself Batman hey Batman so there is more water to that than just this movie but you know if that's the one well, hang up you have with this isn't that a more of a play on his? I'm not crapping on your theory here, but that character and most characters in Batman are dualities, like they're split personalities, and they do refer to themselves in the third person a lot. Well, when, and you could argue that he's describing the idea of Batman separate from himself, right? And at the end of Batman Begins, remember this is your mask. Right. The speech from Katie Holmes's uh, Rachel Dawes about how his Bruce Wayne is his disguise, but Batman is really him. So right. there's a lot going on there, but I found it funny that right at the beginning of the thing, he does refer to himself in the third person, which if I was saying that he was the crassest of this triumvirate, it would actually work against me. But I'm saying right. he's the Caesar, so it's it, it, it tracks, albeit uh, tentatively. Okay. I feel like I'm watching Pulp Fiction. I'm the shepherd. <laughs> <laughs> or no, what does he say about in that speech when he's talking to, uh, oh, uh, when yeah. he gives his whole he's biblical quote, speech? He's quoting the Bible, yeah. yeah. I love that when he's when he's referring. So, and I'm I'm the righteous, or the gun is the gun is the shepherd, <laughs> and I'm just like, wait, what? No, he's the evil man. <laughs> he's the evil, yeah. He's the evil man. I'm trying hard, and I'm trying Ringo, real hard. Real hard. <laughs> That's Batman. Batman is Sam Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Yeah. It'd be great. If we have to have a second old Batman, he's my vote. Well, we get Nick Fury, but you don't like that. I he's mean, that's fine. I like Captain America. That was a good one. Captain America 2 is pretty good. So, Dent and Gordon are the other two pieces of the triumvirate along with uh, Batman as Caesar in this case. Now, Pompey and Crassus, who Gordon would be your Crassus in this scenario, had tension before... Either of them had direct tension with uh, Caesar. Crassus and Pompey had some direct tension over control of Rome. Basically, the city wasn't big enough for the two of them, and Caesar was already out of the city. So it was like kind of a showdown between the two as to who actually got to be the sole consul and who had to be the boss. Uh, I would point to you to that discussion of Dent's old nickname and, oh, I wouldn't know anything about that. You know, that whole line mm-hmm. when they first get together, that even before they're kind of all working together toward a goal... There is a tension there, right? We're not all three, or not even two of them are really on the same team. They're all working together for a common goal, but with some tension between them. A lot of baggage. Now, at the dinner, there's a part where uh, Bruce is talking about his concerns for Gotham, and Harvey's like, is your house even in city limits, Bruce? And There's all this, like, you know, kind of, Bruce, you may have an interest in Gotham, but you really exist outside of our main city right now, kind of feeling uh, Caesar at this time is in Gaul. Uh, he's not in Rome. And so you have that same kind of tension where it's like, yeah, there's three of us doing this, but like, you're not even here, bro. Like, what do you care about Rome when you're out there conquering all of France and Switzerland? And so an interesting kind of piece of like two very immediate to the action, one kind of separate. Okay. Now they get through the whole speech and they say, who appointed the Batman? 
right? And, you know, this is where we get the Rachel Dawes, like, well, the last dictator they, I don't, full disclosure, we'll talk about this as we get into the actual movie stuff. I don't like Maggie Gyllenhaal's performance in this movie until mm. she's strapped to a chair and about to explode. <laughs> Up until that point, Katie Holmes would have done a better job. Yeah, I agree. On the and chair, I, I don't know that I Katie Holmes could Katie do Holmes. that scene. Like, Maggie's, uh, I don't know her. Uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal's performance in that bomb room is so good that yeah. it's like all worth it. But the whole, Harvey, you're the district attorney of Gotham. If they're not trying to kill you, you're not doing your job right. Like, yeah. If there's one thing I don't like about the Dark Knight, it's it's everything she does up until the the bomb room. But I digress. So here's the deal. Julius Caesar was given the title of dictator along with a bunch of other titles after he'd already marched a, an army into Rome and taking control. So what they're saying about oh being appointed dictator in an emergency but then not giving the power back isn't really what happened with Caesar, but it is kind of what happened with Pompey. So if we're breaking technicality lines here like Pompey was actually sort of legally semi-legally made consul given the power to move martial law into Rome to crack down on these gangs now that order the senatus consultum ultimum uh the final order of the senate is the thing that really sets the whole mess into motion because it's under that act that we get martial law which is an Eureka crackdown, right? We're, we're, we're stretching the limits of our legal ability to just make a convenient, quick solution that will kind of kick down the road and hope those 18 months give the mayor a good opportunity to do something because all these guys have an interesting uh, opportunity <laughs> to fight these charges, right? But, but in the short term, it's a solution to our gang problem and it'll look really good on TV, Mr. Mayor. I'm sure nothing could go wrong. Right. Now, last week when I was giving you your quick briefing on what to be looking for when you watch this movie, but I didn't tell you that. I was just hoping it would live in your mind. Do you guys remember Julia, the daughter of Caesar? Mm hmm. And the importance of her relationship kind of bridging this tension between Caesar and Pompey? Yes. The thing that brought Pompey and Caesar into direct conflict was the loss of Julia in childbirth. Yes. And in this movie, the thing that brings the two of them into direct conflict is the death of Rachel Dawes. Rachel, who, at that dinner, when Bruce is like, okay, Harvey Dent, I can trust you, there's a moment where they intentionally show, like, Harvey and Rachel's hands, you know, romantically rubbing each other, and Bruce looks at him, and he's just like you know what, I'm okay with this because this guy's going to be our white knight, right? Like, there's a very intentional, like, Bruce is allowing whatever this is between Rachel and Harvey to go without his continued interference. He's endorsing it. That's your Julia moment. Yep. And then her death, unfortunately, is the other Julia moment. Mm-hmm. Are you with me so far? I am. Sure. I and am it's 100%. not crazy. Like, this isn't, I'm not saying that I've ever pulled stuff out of my butt to make a good theory, but you know, there's a lot of shoe leather involved in getting from some of those Italian movies to some of our movies. So everything I've told you so far predates the actual like events of the Julius Caesar play. So that's why it's like, it's not a perfect parallel, but that's the best adaptation in American film that we could go to, to bring in some of these elements. So I don't regret it. Plus Brando. Like, you had to see Brando. But there's a lot more in Dark Knight that, again, you remember what we talked about in the Caesar episode? That, like, at the time this play was written, in, like, the 17th century, people are more aware of the Roman Republic stuff because it's just, like, pop culture for them. And so because we've lost it, now when they take a movie like this and they build a Batman movie out of the ancient Rome stuff, people aren't catching on to it as much. And it's like... I mean, we got, we've had a lot happen since then, so I guess it's okay. It's just kind of a bummer because this is, you know, a big chunk of the foundations of American history are based on the Roman Republic, and we were just all like, meh. You know, most most American history classes, what, get up to the beginning of the Civil War and then, like, the semester ends, and we never do learn what happens in the Gilded Age. Like, the 20s, nothing happens in the 20s, and then that crash out. You know, like, it's a shame. You gotta watch Boardwalk Empire. So, guys... 
Pompey's in control of Rome. Caesar is trying to make a run for consulship. It's kind of like the the big uh, icing on the cake, right? You have a lot of money, you take a big army, you conquer a whole chunk of enemy territory, and you come back, and then you expect, if you're Caesar, to walk into a consulship, walk into leadership in Rome. Now, to do the conquering that he did, and to pass laws that Caesar did before he left Rome, to kind of build public favor, right? To play to the people of Rome. He passed some laws that were kind of not allowed under Roman tradition. Basically, he broke a bunch of laws. But he had immunity because he was a governor of Gaul, so he couldn't be prosecuted. And if he was a consul, he would have immunity from prosecution. And then he could retroactively fix all that stuff, and he'd never have to worry about actually having to, like, you know, face consequences for these illegal actions he took. But because of Pompey's control of Rome and some logistical uh, legislative moves that Pompey made, there was a gap in between when Caesar's immunity ran out and when he could be consul. And so you get this huge struggle where Batman and his identity becomes an issue, right? The immunity of Caesar parallels how Batman deals with his secret identity in this movie where the Joker says the one thing you have to do is take off your mask, right? Give up the anonymity. Well, Caesar's faced with the same problem with his immunity. And the way that they use it in the movie parallels very much how he struggles with this before having to make his final decision on how to handle the situation without just completely putting himself out and exposed for the consequences. Batman also operates with an amount of immunity. He does. And if he takes off the mask, he'd lose it. Right. Now, I haven't talked about the Joker yet, hardly at all. And from the uh, movie posters, right, you would think that the main arc of this movie is the battle against the Joker. Spoiler alert, uh, it's not, really. Um, in a lot of ways, the arc of this movie is Harvey Dent. Right. And the Joker is just like a force. In a lot of ways, they treat the Joker in this movie like they did Batman in the first 89 movie, where he doesn't really grow at all in the movie. Like, he's entertaining, he's featured, but it's not his story, right? It's like, it's fun that way. And it maintains the mystery of the Joker a lot better, you know, and it gives you the opportunity for Joker to wreak all this havoc and yet still have the same energy if they could bring him back in a future movie because... He is an unknown quantity and can remain so, even if he doesn't really grow as a character. Now, here's the thing about the Joker, as it relates to the, the actual history that this is based on. I'd point you to the speech that Joker makes in the hospital to Harvey Dent, post-burn, right? The mm-hmm. high speech, which is, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe one of the top five scenes in the movie, it's so good. This is where yeah. he talks about being an agent of chaos. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing about heroic tales, when they're fiction, right? The rewarding finish of an heroic tale is when the hero slays the villain, right? That's where you get your catharsis normally. Roll credits, good guy wins. Okay. But here's the thing about Rome in history. Crassus, the first member of the Triumvirate, we talked about him dying in Parthia in what was the Roman equivalent of Little Bighorn. Like, on paper, that never should have happened. But mistakes were made, right? Mm-hmm. Pompey dies not at the hands of Caesar, but at the hands of a betrayal from an opportunistic messenger in Egypt who was just trying to gain favor with Caesar. Julia doesn't die in some kind of self-sacrifice. She dies in childbirth, like, just a tragedy. Could have happened to anyone. Could have happened to anyone. All these things happen in the chaos of actual human life. hmm And so the Joker becomes this, for the story's sake, at least how he interacts directly with the triumvirate, he ends up just being a manifestation of chaos in a literal sense which I think is really interesting that they could pull that off. But, I mean, it tracks. Yeah. 
They just put the the chaos of life into a character form. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. If you didn't have a Joker-identified character and all these individual incidents happened but were attributed to different people, the story would still work. Because the story isn't the Joker. The story is Harvey Dent and his fall. Yep. So tying it all together gives you the opportunity to bring this other villain in. And and for storytelling reasons, it's more consistent and it gives an, an audience at face value someone to blame but you could probably do this movie with just you know people spurred to action by the rico case you know members of the gang that weren't picked up gangs that weren't picked up each operating Mm -hmm. independently could have been responsible for a lot of these actions and the outcome is still as horrible for harvey and he still has his fall from grace but it ties it all together and makes it a joker movie right so it was the right choice for sure. I mean, hell yeah. But but it does make it interesting that because the, the story of Harvey is that he's created basically by, I believe, Mulroney uh, throwing acid on his face. And this is so much more interesting to see uh, him created by another villain so intricately. It was like so planned out, but went way better than he thought it would go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that makes it way his his origin way more interesting. But it also makes the as a as a Batman fan, it kind of makes the story suffer a little bit because the rise and fall, in my view, should have not ended in the death of Harvey. Because, but you have to have the fall. It should have been just the fall of of Harvey Dent. They should not have killed Two Face because you can't kill a major villain like that. There was so much more story that could be told there because they made him so... He could have been his own movie, like you said. Like, you didn't need the Joker. He's interesting enough. But now he's gone. And then the Joker's gone too. Like, to me, it, it was it was a... Uh, at To the expense of trying to tell the story of Caesar, they killed off a character that was very interesting and had plenty more story to tell. Yeah. That was my view on it. Well, and here's the thing I always thought was interesting. In the development of Dark Knight Rises, which we'll talk about soon, I'm sure, uh, the script for the Dark Knight leaked, and it didn't say that Two-Face was dead. It said that Harvey was dead. Right. And I remember everybody said, oh, it could mean Two-Face is still alive. So they put him in Arkham, which would have been a a good fix. It would have been been interesting. I don't know with his grievous wounds that that man would have lived much right. longer like he, it's kind of cool to, if you don't if you let go of the fact that you're going to lose all your other two-faced stories and you focus solely on the fact that you now have a man who is his like death clock has started and how he finishes the rest of his mm-hmm. life is trying to like settle scores with people that have wronged him like that's pretty badass yeah no it, it definitely is and that i think that's what made me uh, I mean, we'll talk about, because we always do the fix at the end. Like, that was always one of my big issues with this movie, was they tried to put so much in the one movie, then Heath Ledger dies, and now they don't have that stuff to put in the next movie, so now they're they're grasping at straws, and they're scrambling to get a, 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 a solid story. I know that they wanted to, I don't know if they wanted to bring the whole, uh, what, they went, what, the, what they went with, or if it was going to be a continuation. But I always thought that the beginning of Rises could have been the end of, like, end with uh, Ledger and Batman in Arkham having the conversation and then show Harvey, uh, we don't know where he is. And then you start the next movie off with Harvey settling those scores. But that would have only worked if they didn't completely destroy the side of his face to where he would have died of some kind of... Yeah, he Sepsis. would have been like septic right away. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But like I looked at that as they they should have had him heal more and then he would have had it shouldn't have been a total burn off to the bone. It should have been like mangled but healed kind of like a like, I don't want to say made a hell of an impression cougar, though, right? Like It definitely did, but it it made him like you said, you knew his death clock was going. Like it wasn't, he wasn't going to survive those injuries. Now, to have your eye exposed like that. I'm glad you brought that up because we're going to cover that before my little spiel is over here. So okay. remember, we talked about that. Now, in the Batman story so far, we have not killed any of the triumvirate. But in the actual story, the first one to die is Crassus in Parthia. Now, the first one to die in the triumvirate here is Gordon. He's your Crassus. Now, mm-hmm. 
couple of things I'll point out that are just, some of them are probably happy accidents, but some of them might be intentional. If, if when they were writing this, they really were like looking at one source, writing the next scene, like, Ooh, this would be great if we integrate this. Crassus gets killed at Commissioner Loeb's funeral, during which you have actual mounted police and actual marching in essentially Roman formation police. Right? So the aesthetic of the scene is already kind of ancient military, mm-hmm. which is badass. It's kind of cool that we still use that TBH, but yeah. So at a scene that looks like what could be a modernized version of a Roman military event, what happens to kill Gordon? A 21 gun salute. Inf- infiltration. Heath Ledger infiltrates, turns. And shoots him from a direction that he doesn't expect, right? Like, right. if you expected a threat in that scenario, as a lot of the snipers did, right? They were looking at the windows externally. Nobody was looking at the threat as it came from there. Right. Now, I'll remind you what I told you about the Parthians in the last episode, which the thing that Grasses and his troops didn't take into account was that they could literally retreat at full speed, flip around on their horse, and shoot you with arrows while still retreating. Mm. So they could turn and fire from a direction you don't expect. And as a result, Crassus dies in Parthia. Okay. Okay, that's a stretch. It is a stretch, next, but... Next one. But it fits. <laughs> uh, if you'll just open your mind. But either way... <laughs> Take the pill. Crassus dies. <laughs> I have an open mind, just not so open that my brain's falling out. So Gordon dies. Okay. Dent kidnaps the Joker's henchman guy that has the Rachel Dawes, mm-hmm. uh, who's now in like, he was just Everything. in Suicide Squad. Which He's is the like, best agent ever. That guy. <laughs> yeah, so that guy's all over the place now. But at the time, he just did like one commercial and laughed a lot and didn't know anything. Uh, mm-hmm. He was also an Ant-Man, which is a Marvel movie you haven't seen. But he was a pretty big character in that as well. So he's been around. He's He's getting some pretty good paychecks, that guy. And in this movie, he is the very first center of conflict directly between Batman and Dent because it's Batman that catches Dent threatening him with what Batman thinks is a 50-50 chance of murder but you and I dramatic irony know that that coin we know has two faces right the way he was interrogating that poor guy the way Harvey Dent was interrogating that poor schizophrenic guy Hmm. was awesome it's usually how your parent <laughs> right because because the viewer i love you know the viewer the, yeah no the viewer knows that this it's not like it's it's always heads right we right. know this and but the you know the schizophrenic guy doesn't know it right so he's like my just flip a coin and it's like it's heads and he's like oh thank god and he's like let's flip it again and it's like oh shit you know, like was it revealed goes, already by then? Yes, it was. Because I know it was definitely revealed when he flips it to Rachel. It was that which happened before the. Uh, no, actually, you know what? It wasn't revealed yet because he doesn't yet. reveal it to her until he makes his own luck and flips her the coin in the back of the right. cop car. So when he, yeah, right before he gets into the uh, when he reveals that I'm Batman. Yeah, I'm the Batman. First audience watch, you think that that oh is a fifty-fifty shot, man? Yeah. Oh shit! So at the time, you're still thinking this could go bad but it's a great example of a scene that (laughs) works even after you've seen Uh, the movie right it is a non-shamalanian twist because it actually works the second time (laughs) it's an anti-shamalanian twist (laughs) (laughs) oh we haven't made fun of that guy's movies in a while holy crap dude yeah it's good well the gordon gordon thing was kind of a shamalanian thing as well well he's not back yet in our our tale but yeah you're right you're right, right, right exactly big twist and and well handled again you know even when Absolutely. you even when you know the the thing that's coming you can see how they do it and be like yeah they didn't cheat like he's right there Mm-mm. you just didn't know yeah the whole time he was just what was funny is my uh one of my kids i don't know if it was gabe or ronan said when they were watching it for the first time they're like that guy's not talking like they they noticed that the guy driving the tr- the armored truck was not interacting mm-hmm. and they thought that that their their red flags went up when I watched it, I didn't even think of that. I was so I, so much watching the guy next to him that I didn't even think. I did. I did think that there was something up with that guy, but I thought he was planted there by the Joker. 
Okay. I didn't know who he was, but I, I you knew that it was the Joker. So right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I knew that's, that there was something wrong with that guy, and he wasn't who he wasn't just there to drive. But it happens so many times in this movie, right? That you know, with the whole hospital thing, like it, you got to watch this movie about three or four times to understand that whole. We'll get to that, but that oh. whole thing with the hospital and and the cops and you know who who has uh, a family member in the hospital. There was like, a there was quite a few things like that that were handled. You got to be pretty on top of things. You to really got to be watching this movie to <laughs> yeah. to get what's going on. And 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 if you're really really paying attention and you're and you're picking up all of these details, the movie is is really really good. Mm-hmm. If you're not paying such great attention and that, you know, cops family in the hospital thing goes over your head, it's still it's good. It's still good, yeah. It's still fine. You just missed a little thing. It's 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 fine. The movie still wor- is where, fine. Where it becomes a problem is you might sit there and go, "Why why are they trying to kill this guy?" If you're not picking up on the whole, like, right? Because the copy's like when he says to the cop, oh, I keep we keep jumping ahead, but yeah. you know when he says to him, when who know, says to who? When um, Gordon says to the cop that's with them in the car, and he's got the gun right next to the. Yeah, he the, says I'm gonna. He says you're. He has he confirms his, confirms his last name right. Yeah, and he and says it, yeah, and he says. He's gonna need his gun, and he he's says, like, "Is this because my dad's in the hospital?" It's his wife, but yeah, or his wife, it's, and he's like, "Yeah, that's why." Yeah, like that and kind of it, stuff is so complex. Yeah, <laughs> but really yeah. well acted too. I mean, Jesus, yes. yep, so good. But the schizophrenic. Why I brought it up was the schizophrenic scene was the same way, where he's in the back of the ambulance and he's just showing signs of being insane, but then when he's flipping the coin in the alleyway, underneath the bridge. When you say he's showing signs, you mean Dent is showing signs? No, he's showing signs of of losing it. But I mean the, Dent? the schizophrenic. Yeah, Dent is. But okay. the schizophrenic is. He's you keep like showing, you keep saying he, yeah. and I don't know who you're okay. referring to. What's the name of schizophrenic? What's his name? <laughs> and if and if I don't know who you're referring to, the listener doesn't know. The schizophrenic. Okay. In the ambulance uh-huh. when when Dent comes into the ambulance and he's going to basically kidnap this guy. Uh huh. Yep. He shows when he sees Rachel's name on his name tag. Yes. He shows signs of just fear. He's not showing signs of being a wacko. Right. But then once they're in the alleyway and Dent is is interrogating him and he's and the schizophrenic is getting more and more flustered, showing more and more the fact that he's crazy. You still don't know that he's a schizophrenic until Batman shows up and says, You're not gonna get anything from him. And he tells him what his diagnosis is. That's true. At some point in the movie, I don't know exactly what it is. They tell you that all of the Joker's henchmen are mental patients, basically. From I think Gordon says because some of them escaped at the end of the first movie, or most of them did. And yes, because they, they mentioned in the beginning we haven't rounded up everybody. Yes, so they end up his henchmen. Yes, and include they never imply possibly the Joker is one of them. Yeah, they do. That escaped. Yeah, they do. No, they don't give a history. No, you don't get enough Joker to know that he's ever been to Arkham before. He's never been like when they. No, no, hold on. Yeah, yes, you do. Because at the end of, at the end of Begins, they're talking about everyone that escaped from Arkham, and they hadn't rounded everybody everybody up, and. That was the whole thing where, like, like this guy here, for instance, leaves his card. And it's the no, they never no. imply that he was from Arkham. That yeah. Basically, he was, they were talking about escalation. He comes up as a point of escalation, not as one escalation. of the Arkham escapees. Really? Yep. Yeah, because Batman's like, you know, he's like, you, you have uh, armor piercing. They have armor piercing, piercing rounds because you have Kevlar. And he's like, and he's like, and you're wearing a mask. And they're talking about escalation. Then he goes, take this guy, for instance. So he's saying, no matter how prepared you are, then there's this. Like, he doesn't ever say that when they're talking about the missing inmates. So they don't really... He could be. He could be one of the escapes, but they never say that he's one of the ones that were actually in Arkham. Okay, copy that. They never actually make that connection. I just made it in my head. And once they finally have him captured here, after Gordon comes back, they have no record of who the guy is. That's why he is so effective and dangerous, because he doesn't have a record to track. And while we're talking about Joker as a manifestation of chaos, him using the patients who've escaped from Arkham at the end of the last movie, he becomes, again, he could just be a symbol for the chaos caused by the Arkham inmates who've been let out into the city. 
So Crassus is dead. And you've got this civil war between Pompey and uh, Pompey and Caesar, in this case, uh, Dent, and Batman. Now, things go a little sideways. And, you know, your agent of chaos, the chaos of life, ends up killing Pompey before Caesar has a chance to stop him, right? To bring him in. Now, of course, Batman wouldn't have killed Dent. Uh, and in this movie, this is where the, the parallels kind of start breaking off because as of yet, they're still trying to just save each other, right? Like they're not getting along necessarily. They're both getting more extreme, but they aren't arch nemeses dividing up Rome. They are kind of rivals no longer working directly together. Now, well, they have a common goal with so. a common goal. Now right. uh, you could argue that Pompey and Caesar had a common goal, but they just were mutually exclusive of the other one being alive. But you know, that's for another day. Now, <laughs> um, so here's the thing that I find interesting. Bruce Wayne gets nailed in a car accident, saving the life of someone who betrayed him. Mm-hmm. And he shares that look with Mr. Reese. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's supposed to be your et tu brute moment, but it would be a pretty good one if you were looking for one. No. It could also be said that possibly the, the whole, uh, I think Lucius Fox felt a little betrayed by, by Bruce as well. Yeah. There, it's a, little, a whole mess toward the middle. Yeah. There's I some mean, betrayal there. That act three is just a, it's a whole mess. Is it act three? We'll talk about that. Uh, so <laughs> remember I told you there was a second triumvirate. Mm-hmm. And you don't see it really in Julius Caesar. In fact, uh, I might point out that the last two acts of Julius Caesar seem like they're a little too brief, not very well fleshed out, and not exactly like cathartic in the way that they could have been versus the first couple of acts as you build up to Caesar and the murder of Caesar. So in this movie, toward the end, you have a new Gordon, right? Gordon died, Gordon back. Lieutenant Gordon, gone. Commissioner Gordon, here. But after Gordon returns and arrests the Joker, does he do anything action-y? I mean, I'm trying to think, besides the sad scene at the end with his kid and family, in which he does nothing, I'm going to point out, he's completely passive in that scene. Mm Mm-hmm active superhero Gordon really doesn't come back after arresting the Joker. You end up with passive administrative Gordon after that. True. He does go get some coffee. You remember Lepidus, the old guy at the table who kind of popped up at the end of Julius Caesar and then didn't do shit. Hmm. And who in the actual history is quickly put into the priesthood when he tries to move on Sicily. And Mm. then the triumph, the second triumvirate becomes Octavian new Caesar versus Mark Antony. Hmm. Mark yeah. Antony, who I'll remind you was operating in cahoots with Cleopatra. Yeah. To where you end up with Caesar, new Caesar fighting two faced enemy. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like a stretch, but I mean, that's what you end up with at the end of this movie is you, you get, whether it's Bruce getting hit in that car by his, uh, to save his own employee, you know, who's trying to betray him. I mean, remember, Mr. Reese isn't just getting protected by Bruce because Bruce has a, a heart for all his employees. He, Bruce is saving the man who's trying to destroy his crusade, the man who's already threatened to betray him. So, I mean, there's more Brute in there than maybe it first appears, but. You could also say, hey, he gets shot by Dent, and that's him getting the Gordon death that isn't really a death, and then he pops up, and he's now he's Octavian, and then he's... Where you want to draw those parallels is fine. In the end, it's not the same story, but it does follow the same same beats because you get a restored Batman, a restored Caesar, defeating a two-faced villain who in, you know... You could even just argue that Mark Antony, former friend of Caesar, now working in a, you know, accomplice with the people who killed Pompey to try to take over Rome, that alone is a two-faced move. Either way, it tracks that Harvey Two-Face is your Mark Antony. And at the end of this movie, he's dead, and Batman, Caesar, is the one left standing. Hmm. Okay, the second part, what you just said, 
I totally I totally get and I agree that Harvey Dent is Mark Anthony. It tracks very well because in the in the beginning, if you look at Batman as Caesar, the first Caesar, the old Caesar. Yes, they team up. They're like, you know, backing each other pretty much before they even know who each other are, right? Essentially, and, yeah. Well, right? Actually, Batman and Gordon were working, and they brought Harvey in on that. Like, right, but what I'm saying is, like, Harvey's, when they're sitting at the table having dinner, and and Harvey Dent is defending Batman. Right. Right? He's like, it. that is the way I felt Mark Anthony was for Caesar. Yeah. Right. Okay. Like like defending him to to the end. Right. And also in in the movie Julius Caesar, they did make a point to say that he doesn't really have like he's just a limb of Caesar. It's not like he's gonna be any kind of threat after Caesar's gone. Right. Right. Unlike and, Octavian, who they didn't even know was going to be I mean, remember in the Roman history the Roman uh, Senate and them, the conspirators, had no idea that in his will, Caesar was adopting upon his death Octavian as his son, uh, who would eventually become Augustus Caesar. So that's like a plot twist for the conspirators who could never have known, oh, by the way, we not only have to worry about Mark Antony, now we have to worry about this guy who's already a good operator and ambitious enough to think he can be the next Caesar. Hmm. And remember at the end of Julius Caesar, what Mark Antony does is he follows conspirators and murders the traitors. And in this movie, Two-Face has his whole campaign flipping coins mm. and shooting motherfuckers because they betrayed him and Rachel. No, uh, dude, I, I, Harvey Dent being uh, Mark, Antony. Mark Antony is, it tracks beautifully. I like that. What you said before... I have to like I well you said before about the 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 look between Harvey Dent not Harvey Dent uh the look between uh, Bruce, Bruce Wayne and, and Mr. Reese Mr. Reese the guy who's trying to reveal his identity that was definitely not a Brutus moment a too brute because he was not uh, Mr. Reese was not close enough to Bruce for that to be the case. But it's the only substantial like physical damage that you see Batman or Bruce take that can parallel his death to get you from one Caesar to the next. And you need to get to that second Caesar so that you can have this cathartic moment at the end where... Well, maybe his death is when Rachel dies because he has that collapse moment where he's holding his, his cowl and, and uh, Alfred's talking to him. And he's just like she would have waited for me. Like he he was basically giving up on Batman. He was basically killing Batman. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting point. I mean, you've got that, that whole scene where he stands and you know looks solemnly in the flaming wreckage of what was yeah. Rachel. In uh, that emptiness, I mean, you could track that with his news that Pompey's been killed, because it's like this opportunity for closure is gone. My victory over Rome is great, but like it's empty because I didn't actually beat anybody. All I did was cross the river with my troops. Like it's a complicated moment, and it works better in this movie the way they did it. I mean, you you couldn't argue with what they they did, right? But I agree with George that the Mister Reese is not connected enough to have that backstabbing, yeah moment. Like if it was if it was Lucius, yes, yes. If it was Alfred. Yes, yes, absolutely. But and he kind of backstabbed Bruce too by burning the letter and not but it's really not, protected it's not to yeah. to me the one who backstabbed him was the Joker well, by giving him the wrong coordinates cuz he knew he would go get Rachel. Right. I actually uh, no, 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 no. Well, but it was 250-50 second street. He should have heard that 50-50 and been like, mm, this is probably a trick." For simplicity's sake, you could really just point to the actual explosion that kills Rachel maims Harvey Dent, and injures Batman. I mean, he's protected by his suit, but he never does come away after that incident as old Caesar. So if you want a simple answer, a place to point, and you don't want to talk about Mr. Reese, that might be your best bet. We talked earlier about how this movie, from the posters and from the trailers and stuff, you really think that the arc of the movie is the Joker, right? And it turns out, no, it's a Harvey Dent movie more than it is a Joker movie. Mm-hmm. It just heavily features the Joker. He just needed a little push. 
here's the thing about this movie yeah. that I think blows me away to this day that they pulled this off. But when you're watching The Dark Knight for the first time, especially as a person who didn't watch all the trailers to see the hints that you might get a Two-Face, right? You have this moment where the action in Act 3 is escalating and escalating and escalating, and we're getting to the big action finale, and there's a SWAT team, and the doctors are the bad guys, and the clowns are the hostages, and Batman's Mm -hmm. fighting a SWAT team, and the Joker, and dogs, and he's going to blow up some people, and he's hanging from a thing, and they even do a callback to the 89 Batman and fling freaking Joker off the top of a Mm -hmm. building and then save him. And you think that is, that's it. That's the climax. Movie's over. Right. No. But no. And then what do you get after that? You get literal falling action, which is the Mm -hmm. technical term for act four of a five-act play, where you have this kind of hurried but not climactic, right? Like nothing that happens after that Joker fight ever reaches that height again in terms of like, action set piece you just have this like intimate murder and kind of repercussions of what we've already seen working its way down an energy level until the last kill of this movie is a man literally falling to his death right and then what do you finish with the run an actual denouement the actual finish of a five-act play with the final bit about, you know, the silent protector, the dark knight. Right. It's even poetic. Like, if you want to, I mean, it's not an iambic pentameter, I don't think. I never did check, honestly. But, I mean, you have a... Pentameter? S- you mean a pentameter? A pentam- <laughs> pentameter. <laughs> pentameter. You got them pentameters? I like them <laughs> pentameters. I like them quadrameters better. Sorry, call back. Quadrameters. Now, now that you're a listener, you know what I'm talking Quadrometers about. Quadrometers <laughs> have better... F- Colograms, Colograms, Colograms is good. Yeah, uh, I like Teddy Grams more. Um, so mm. I'm a dad. Colograms, yeah. they make me look lighter on the scale. Hey, this is Dan and Post. So on a whim here while editing, I did analyze the last speech from Gordon because I mean it's already poetic, but is it iambic pentameter? Actually, it's pretty close. Uh, if you wanted to break it down into your softs and hards, uh, because he's the hero Gotham deserves, but not the one it needs right now, so we'll hunt him because he can take it. It it doesn't quite finish. But yeah, they definitely elevate the dialogue a bit. Uh, it's not quite iambic pentameter, but it certainly is, you know, going for a thing on the level of great dramatic prose. Close enough, maybe. <sighs> I don't look at the fourth act of this as I mean yeah if you want to go the action route yeah it's it's not as climactic as the ending of this movie and it gets but, progressively less climactic right like but it's, as an actor who loves actors that fourth act which quickly becomes the fifth act mm-hmm. that's some tense shit it's oh, action verbal action it's 100% <laughs> warranted yeah but like as I an audience, there, I... it feels like a bonus movie. If you're used to a three-act structure, which we all are and we don't know it, not everybody realizes that they expect their movie to be three acts. Right. If you walk into The Dark Knight Blind, the movie's over. Oh, it's not over? Oh, there's extra movie here. Oh, right. this is no. good. You've got my attention. And then the fact that it spirals down from like, you know, giant action set piece to like a car crash to like a lady getting threatened in a alleyway down to a family being threatened like every set piece gets smaller and more intimate yeah and then a dude falls and that's it it's just like oh man we're like bringing it down for the smooth finish but i mean if if you needed more evidence that they knew what they were doing besides the fact that they give you a caesar speech and they talk about cicero in the same movie i mean this is a five-act play with a denouement I like saying that word. A denouement. And I got scene. a denouement at the end of this movie. <laughs> There's, yeah, it's obvious. It's no, awesome. It's all there. It's awesome. Th- this whole discussion deserves to be in a film class. <laughs> like, 
You mean in, like a remedial in... one? No, but I mean like, <laughs> well, yeah, that was the joke. But I'm just saying like, George is right. This <laughs> no, is something like not that... Not a remedial one, actually. This is something that should be shared in a film class on like this, because I've never heard this ever even brought up. It's nowhere online. I watch online. a lot of reaction movies or videos. I watch a lot of Easter egg videos. I watch a lot of like Eric Voss and like all these people that like do that for that's their living is to sit there and just find cool shit and point it out. And I've never seen this parallel mentioned. So it's something that, that should get out there, but it's sure as hell there. It's definitely in there. Well, thank you for coming on that journey guys. I'm glad that I'm glad that it, I mean, here's the thing. I knew it was there and I was confident. I wasn't too worried, but it is good to hear when I've had a chance to actually go through it all with you guys. That you two non-history majors are like, oh yeah, no, that's there. Okay. Phew. <laughs> well, you gave me, you gave us enough history, and I, you know, with my new AirPods, uh, listened to it twice, once live, and then once later. And uh, so yeah, it was like pretty fresh, and you did a good job of, you know, Laying keeping all the, keeping all the character straights straight in the storyline storylines and lining them up and yeah it was pretty good i only called bullshit like twice so it's not bad yeah it's solid it's not bad i'll take it but you should go back and watch those two scenes uh maybe if we make this into two episodes maybe between episodes you could go real quick pull up that funeral scene and see how he does like a straight turn to fire backwards and then go back and look at the look between bruce and and mr reese and see that Mr. No, I, Reese, I know that look is he's there. giving him a that, look like, oh, yeah. I am so sorry that I betrayed you, which is the feeling that Brutus gets after he kills Caesar, right? The whole thing where he's like, in the Shakespearean play, he's, he's uh, imagining Caesar's there at his camp, right? This regret that he feels. He, he's expressing regret, man. Like, it, he I, didn't kill him, I, though. I'm buying that, except for the fact that he didn't really kill him. He didn't really kill him. He, but, didn't, even, like, he didn't even maim him. Like, he didn't hurt his... His legacy, he didn't, like, uh, uh, Ra's al Ghul did way more to Bruce Wayne, Batman, in the first one than Mr. Reese did. Scarecrow did more to Batman in the first one than anybody in this movie did. But I mean his reputation. Oh, He burned his house down. Yeah, that's true. He did burn his house down. He did a shit ton of things to Bruce Wayne that the joke, that the, the Scarecrow did not do. Like, it... He basically ruined his. I just meant physically life. when he lit him on fire and threw him out right. a window. Yeah, physically, yeah. Because really, I mean, but, aside from getting shot once and kicked with a, a like a knife boot from the Joker, which did no damage, even though we were told he couldn't take knife. We have I stuff to talk know. about with this movie, guys. We have he a lot did, to talk. He about. He did enough. <laughs> There's so much nuance in this character. Like when he says to him, "I really thought you were." I'm talking about physical damage. I'm talking about right, the fact that in this movie, Batman well, doesn't ever get hurt. So it's hard to track the physical. moment that he dies unless you do start to branch out to the, is him holding his cowl in the chair? Is that the moment that Her dying is the Joker doing the physical damage to Bruce Wayne, Batman, that you're talking about? Like, he he tore his heart out by killing her. Yeah. And he does mention and in he, the in the uh, the interrogation scene that oh I really thought you you know does yeah. Harvey know about you and his little girl his main oh. girl yeah, his squeeze his, his main his, squeeze but it's like that that's kind of not thought about until we're having this conversation like yeah the Joker really didn't do much physically to him yeah the knife in the boot and you know a couple things in the rooftop but yeah. He was more a mind fuck. <laughs> he mentally just destroyed him. As uh, the world does to people, right? right? The chaos of the outside world is a dangerous, horrifying thing. What's What would you say the significance is of uh, Bruce bringing the coin back to uh, Mark Antony? You know... Like, does that symbolize there the, the passing so of something? There is so much going on in that scene. Because even the Gordon and and Harvey scene in the hospital is just heart wrenching. Yeah, it's interesting that both Gordon and Batman both like come to the hospital, right? Like, there's 
and Joker too, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's being visited. It's almost like an Ebenezer Scrooge yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, I was gonna say it's like the uh, Christmas Carol. Christmas Carol, a little bit. That's weird. That's weird. But I mean, I guess that's one way to play it. I mean, you should also note that there is a table in the room. I mean, it's literally a meeting at a table between the members of the Second Triumvirate, which you have in Shakespeare. It just so happens it doesn't happen simultaneously uh, as it does in the play. And Joker being there is that element of chaos still remaining in their lives. I don't know, man. Like, he gives him back the coin, and is he giving him back... Like, is that the sign of... Would it be like giving Batman back his mask? Like, here you go. Here's your deal. Here's your gimmick. You know? Here's your humanity. Come back, dude. Here it is. Because he does remain fair. Like, that's, that's like, a great line. When, when, uh... The Joker says to him, you know, the good thing about chaos is it's fair. And he's playing off the fact that Harvey is fair. Like, that's, even though he's psychotic, he still is fair. Yeah, and the only, what gets up his butt the worst is when things aren't fair. Right. At least when he's Two-Face. That shot of him holding up the coin and then turning it around to reveal the damaged side is just like... That's you don't get that in comic book movies. Like that is no. so no. good and so awesome. And there's a lot of it in this movie. There's a reason it's the best one. Yeah. Like when you brought it up earlier when when uh Joker walks in and he's like, Hi. Oh, it's so <laughs> like, good. It's so loaded. <laughs> yeah. Like ooh. Ooh. wow. Like, so much better than if what I, I had a caller, I'd be pulling it right now, going, ooh, yeah. right? Yeah, like, but his high is like, man, my plan worked so good. Yeah, it's <laughs> not a plan, high. though. He's not a schemer, or is right, he? I'm not a schemer. We'll have to talk about that. Gordon's Guys, got plans. Let's let's wrap it up here, and let's come back next week, and let's talk more about the Dark Knight because we just talked about the entire movie, and we didn't even touch on most of the movie. So let's do it again. <laughs> what do you say? Yes, please. There's so much more to say, yes. I'm cool. Thank you for joining us on the Remedial Film Class podcast. As always, you can find us at facebook.com slash remedialfilmpod. You can email us, remedialfilmpod at gmail.com. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at remedialfilmpod. We'll see you back next week, same Dark Knight time, same Dark Knight channel, I guess, uh, to discuss more of the goings-on of the film The Dark Knight. and. We'll tie in the killing and the heat references from earlier episodes and, of course, go over all the stuff we haven't talked about, which, honestly, is a lot of the movie. So we'll see you back here then. All right, so George doesn't listen to the show. George doesn't listen. That I can't argue with. George doesn't listen to the show. That's not true. Oh, what? You listened? Oh. Oh. That's not true. All right. I was so excited to do this episode that I bought myself a pair of AirPods. Wow. And an un- and an unlimited data plan. Mm. And I listened to like three hours of us today. Oh, wow. Wow. Nice. In preparation to watch this movie when I got home. Nice. That's it. And, yeah. and I'm beer. going to continue nice. to listen to our show. Sweet. Tell your friends. We got, we got one. <laughs> <laughs> if, if not for anything else, but to, to remember what was said. Yeah, callbacks are because always fun. Y- y'all keep ragging on me for like, oh, we just said this last week, and right. like, well, maybe if I maybe I should listen to that episode and be prepared for that this week. <laughs> no, you know how like, um, you know how I can't remember anyone who I've ever seen in a movie. Oh yeah, no, I'm well dude, aware, dude. I had a dream. You and Marlon Brando? No. Oh. No. You and Dick Sandley? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh no. Yes. Oh boy. I was uh I ran into Dick Sandley. Right. In like in person. He wasn't doing the tuck dance from Silence of the Lambs, was he? I don't know okay. what he was doing. But I was like, Oh my god, that's the guy. That's <laughs> the actor. That's Dick Sandley. Oh my gosh, I gotta go say hi. And I like introduce myself <laughs> and I tell him the whole story about how I can never remember any actors. And you're in, you're, you're in the movies that all these movies that we're watching this movie and that movie and this movie and that movie. 
and blah, blah, blah. And oh my gosh, Dan is going to be so proud that I saw Dix Hanley in person <laughs> and I said hi and I knew who he was and then I woke up because it was just a dream. Wow. I mean, that we're, we're affecting you and I don't feel bad about it. <laughs> <laughs> the curriculum's working, Travis. It's working. <laughs>